of how we got to where we are at St. James these days. That this St. James building is roughly 500 feet from the old St. James building, which is no longer there, which is 92 affordable housing units. Um, I still remember when the process began in 2012, exploring the sale of the building and then signing a contract, and then the, because it was a commercial sale, it took two and a half years of study to determine whether or not the sale would actually go through. And once we had signed the contract, we knew we were leaving the building, but we didn't have anything really to show for it except that we knew we were leaving the building. And at any point, the people who were buying the building, if they discovered something unusual in the way they drilled the soil or in the other kinds of things, they could walk away from the process and we would be uh, uncertain of what became of it. Now, during this time, we sat together and dreamed of what would be next for us. As it turned out, what would be next for us is we met in temporary space in a retirement home at, uh, at the Hermitage in Northern Virginia, Pinnacle Living now. Uh, you know, the Hermitage in Northern Virginia, part of that. And we met in their auditorium. Imagine if that had been our meeting space now during, uh, during COVID-19. We wouldn't be allowed in the building uh, even to film this. We would have been doing this in some other place. Now, during that time, we continued to dream that we were moving east, more towards Old Town in some ways, towards the Cameron Station area of Alexandria. And if you don't know anything about that, that's perfectly all right. Just say where there were a lot more people. There were a lot more people that our district and others thought would be very attracted to the kind of ministry we do at St. James. Uh, fast forward then through that whole process. In the end, we found this building, this place. And imagine that we sold a building that was 12,000 plus square feet. And we bought a worship center that is about 2,000 square feet. And it came with the accompanying house that's another 2,000 square feet, the mission house. So we have a worship center and we have a mission house. It's not what we originally uh, envisioned that we would be doing. Uh, we thought we'd have a new space and a new cool space, cutting edge, you know, grunge, warehouse, you know, totally. Uh, and instead we have this space. Now, I had a vision of this totally cool place, and I wonder just how much of the totally cool place that I was envisioning in my mind was about my own ego and not about what God wanted for our community. I'd like to tell you that I'm as humble as they come, and I'm not. There was a part of me that said, you know, I've been here at that point, 25 plus years at St. James, wouldn't it be cool if we had a really cool building and we became the cool church to belong to? I'm not sure God is into cool churches. God is into churches who love each other. Today, the fourth Sunday in Advent is the Sunday of love. God is into something different than building houses that we can confine God into, that can become... Uh, monuments to us and not to the God that they are meant to point to. 
Well, now imagine you're thinking to myself, well, what, you're thinking to yourself, what is this James going to preach about? Where does this come from in Isaiah? Well, it doesn't. We're not looking at Isaiah anymore this week. This week's reading is from the second book of Samuel. And in it, David, who has become king of Israel and all of his enemies have been kind of laid waste or they're at peace and he's living in a cool palatial estate and he's thinking to himself, maybe it's time, maybe it's time for a temple for God. And that's where we find David in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. Now when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant, servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought you up, uh, up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word of any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house? <laughs> Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people in Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is a word from the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is a crucial chapter. You may not, you've been hanging on the edge of your seat probably, just me reading it to you. You're just like, wow. This is, it's a crucial chapter. It, a lot of things happen in this chapter uh, theologically. I titled today's message, No House Big Enough. And part of the challenge for us is we are constantly imagining new ways to build things for God. Things that oftentimes glorify us more than they glorify God. That lift us up. That give us a pat on the back. You know, David, in some ways, I, I'm sure, he did have a heart after God's own heart. We're told that in other parts of Scripture. But how much of building the temple under his leadership was about him having built the temple? 
and consolidating his own sense of power because clearly God's on his side if he builds the temple. Did this idea of building a temple come from completely altruistic motives or was it an expectation that God will, if I build this temple, God will clearly rest on me. God will be on my side. If I do this thing, show this uh, glorious temple. Now initially, it's interesting, as David is pondering this, he says to his friend, at least at this point he's his friend, the prophet Nathan, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And Nathan says, off the top of his own head, go do it. I'm sure the Lord is with you on this one. And then he has a dream. He leaves David's, uh, uh, he, he leaves David's presence, goes home, wherever home is for the prophet Nathan, I don't know. Yeah, maybe he lives in the wild, he's wearing a camel hair shirt, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. I don't know what prophets did in those days, what their fashion was. But in any case, he goes out, he goes and he has a dream, and the Lord says to him, did I ask you to build me a temple? <laughs> did I tell you I needed a place to live? I've been fine traveling around in a tent. You see, at this point, the Israelites had located God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant. God was there. And, you know, that's where God, they could always point to, God had a tent. Now, God was free to go where God went because there was this freedom of movement in their own mind. Now, you see, we always put our stuff on God. So they're putting their stuff on God. God is free, moves with us. We can carry the covenant around. God's always with us. Because they envisioned that God was located in one spot at the ark. Let's build them a house so we'll always know where God is so we can pop in to see God when we're ready. If we got God located over down the street, then when we want to see God, we'll pop in. Hey, God, how you doing? Then we'll pop back out. I've always liked a good domesticated God that I could carry in a box in my pocket. So when I want to have a good conversation with friends, I just pop the box out of my pocket and show it to them. See, I've got my God right back in my pocket. Perfect size, manageable, fits me just the way that I am. But I suspect that what's happening in this wonderful writing that we call the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is something bigger than this. The Israelites are beginning to struggle with something about who this God is that they serve. They're still trying to figure it out. And this God makes a revelation through the prophet Nathan and his dream that changes the perception of God. Exodus 19, a flashback. In Exodus 19, verse 5, thereabouts, God says through Moses to the people, I will love you, be with you, if, if you do what I want, if you behave in the way that I'm going to give you the law to do. In this particular passage, there's no if. I will be with you forever. I will make you a house forever. Now, it may not seem like much to you, but I don't want to have an iffy relationship with God. 
And for too long, I'm convinced the church has made it an iffy relationship. Come to church when you get your stuff together. You know, somebody shows up and they're not quite dressed the way everybody else is, or they've got a few too many earrings in their ear, maybe a tattoo or two, and suddenly we're taken aback. Oh my gosh, you need to get your life together, get a little laser tattoo removal or something, and then you're welcome. If you do this, then God will love you. That is the biggest pile of poop the church has ever shoveled. Because there is no if in God's love. And David is discovering this through the prophet Nathan in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. It's not an if. It's just an is. You are loved. I say it to you most every Sunday and every time I come to you on my Facebook Live messages on Tuesdays. You are infinitely precious to God and unconditionally loved. That means there is no condition placed on God's loving you. And anybody who tries to sell you something different is indeed trying to sell you something. But it's not true. It's not an if relationship. It's just an is relationship. And this is an important transition in the theology of Israel. In chapter 7, who knew? 2 Samuel 7 was such a crucial turning point where we move from if to understanding God's unconditional love. Now, the recognition that God acts in history moves among us is not to be missed in this passage either. You know, philosophers, particularly since the Enlightenment, imagined a watchmaker God, if you will. A God who put all the intricate workings of the universe together in this tiny, tiny watch, wound it up really good, set it into motion, and then just watches it tick. Our God is not that God. Our God is not a watchmaker God that stands back. But our God is also a God that will not let you take away the eternal freedom to do whatever God wants to do. One of the challenges of building cathedrals to God is we forget that the cathedral or the building itself is only a pointer. It's only meant to be a place where the community gathers. It's a finger pointing at the moon. My finger pointing at the moon will never be the moon. Only a finger pointing at the moon. My finger pointing at God, this building glorifying God will never itself be God, merely a pointer. And as soon as we ever invest any created thing with Godness, we've got control. We've taken away God's freedom to be God. Now, maybe David wasn't thinking that. I don't know how big of a thinker David is. You know, he plays music. That's a pretty cool thing. And he has a heart after God. And uh, he's unafraid to dance and sing before the Lord, all of those kinds of things. But in the end, the question becomes, you know, how deep is he thinking to himself, I'll let God put God's stamp on me. 
stamp of approval by my temple building for God, thereby assuring God's presence when I want it and taking away a bit of God's freedom as if I could. The hardest thing about the God that we love and serve is that God is always free to be God. That God is always free to love whoever God's going to love. And I've got some news for you. If you've drawn some lines around who those people are, start erasing them now. (laughs) Start erasing them now. Because there is no list of who God loves and who doesn't. If you imagined in your mind, you know, it makes you feel pretty special. Let's just be honest. Makes you feel pretty special if you're the one that the line is drawn around that God especially loves. And you know what? God does especially love you. And God especially loves... This is one of the things that drove my children crazy. Periodically, they would say to me, Josh did it sometimes, Hannah did, you love the other more than me. And I said, no, I love the other different than you. I love the other different than you. You can't quantify the way I love Joshua, the way I love Hannah. I love them different ways. The way I love my mom, the way I love my dad, I love them in different ways. You can't equate those things. They're different. God especially loves you for being you. In the same way that whoever's sitting next to you or whoever else you know, God loves especially for being them. God especially loves you. Now, I have heard over and over again that by saying everything is special, nothing is special. Well, I've got bad news for you. In the universe, everything is special. Everything is special to God. And God's got enough specialness to go around. God is very fond of the atoms uh, and the quarks and the molecules and the cells, all the way up to human beings. Sometimes I wonder why God is fond of us, but God is. God is especially fond of us. And that's because God's free to be God. The dangerous thing is whenever we decide we're going to make God ours. Grab onto God and let God justify whatever it is we do as individuals, as a community, as a nation, as a world. This is what God wants. How many times have people said that in history about things like ugly, you know, wars and uh, genocide? Pope at the end of the 1400s said it was perfectly fine to colonize and, and do whatever they wanted to do in the New World and in Africa and all around. And that the native peoples there were only collateral to be brought into the fold by any means necessary. The church said that. We are in danger any time we try to domesticate God to our purposes and take away the freedom of God to be God. God wants you to love your neighbor. God wants you to love yourself. God wants you to love God. God wants you to love this world that God has entrusted to your care. And God wants you to feel the freedom God wants to give you to do that. 
without boxing God up into neat boxes. Yes, it's what we can manage. My life is so unmanageable now <laughs> because I live at home all the time, except when I'm in this building and occasionally going to the store, very infrequently. I go for walks too. But quarantine is a kind of prison. And it makes you feel isolated and sometimes alone. And no matter how many people you talk to on the phone or send emails to or write notes to, it still feels alone. And it's then that we're tempted to make God in our own image so that we can have some control and do what we want to do. In this season, when David tried to put God in a box, God said, can't do that. Can't do that. I'm going to love you from where I am. Don't try to remove my freedom. I'm going to love you especially for being you, David. And my love for you is going to be forever for your entire house. Now, one of the things we like to point to as followers in the way of Jesus is that Jesus was in the line of David. That's why Mary and Joseph went there for his birth. To Bethlehem, David's town. David's love rests on us. God's love rests on us. It is without condition. It merely invites us to respond. In this season, will you try to box God up under your tree? Or will you try to love your neighbor, as hard as that is sometimes? The neighbor who's unwilling to wear a mask, as well as the one who insists on wearing masks. Can you love them all? And can you do the most loving thing in response? Can you do the most loving thing in response? Not the thing that makes you feel puffed up, like you're living within your rights, but the thing that's most loving. Because that's hard work. That's hard work. Sisters and brothers, there is no house big enough to hold God. The space that it takes to hold God is bigger than the universe itself, which is already infinite. The universe itself is a revelation, an ever-outpouring revelation. We're told it's expanding faster and faster. It's a revelation of what God, of, of the eternal God, the many facets of God. And it can never end because the revelation keeps coming. We see it in one another in small bits. So... Friends, live into this season without boxing God up. Let God have the freedom to be God that gives you the freedom to be you and to love your neighbor and to be yourself and recognize that you are infinitely precious and unconditionally loved. Four days to Christmas Eve, I invite you to join us on Christmas Eve at 7 o'clock for our Christmas Eve 
We'll call it a traditional Christmas Eve service. It's the St. James traditional Christmas Eve service, which is to say Christmas carols and singing. And then at the end, we encourage you if you want to, uh, we, we sing Silent Night at the end. I don't want to give it away, but we sing Silent Night at the end. You can bring a candle. You can bring communion if you want to. I, when we bless communion together, you can have communion there at your house if you wish. Also, if you would like, we also have at 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve a Zoom experience of worship. You'll find the link uh, both on our website and it will go up on our Facebook uh, page this week and you'll be able to uh, join us live if you wish at 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve for Christmas Eve service. That will come to you live from my house. Uh, at least I will be live at my house, you'll be live at your house, and you can, uh, you can also bring to that uh, service communion elements, bread in the cup, and you can bring a light as well, some form of light, because we will end by lighting our lights separately in our place and being lights for the world. So be mindful of those.